0: entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. And this week, we're going to do a bit of a a new structure here where we're going to do a masterclass. And the way the masterclass is going to work is that I'm going to engage various experts I've met on my travels. And we're going to listen to them about the sort of their experiences and go through a bit more of a structured conversation about a specific topic. So the topic we're going to look at today is really all about understanding culture. It's about culture development, culture change, just a bit more of a deep dive into culture. And I was lucky enough to meet this lady recently, actually through the HR Ninjas. I think it was Karen, wasn't it? It was. Uh, and, um, and we realised that we had an interesting change in common and lots, lots that we wanted to share and discuss on this topic. So I'm delighted to have Karen Gill from To The Point with me. She is... Hesitant to describe herself as an expert in culture, but I certainly think she's got an awful lot of value that uh, she can share with us today. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining me. Would you like to give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself?
1: Yes. So um, I would confess to be an HR generalist. Um, I certainly started off my career and have have worked in in HR over the last 25 years in, in a variety of different industries and sectors. Um, And obviously change has always been part of that as it is with any HR professional, but um, certainly in the last four to five years, um, understanding culture and starting to drive culture change has been something that I've been um, involved in and become very interested in. And so three years ago, um, I took the step to to move out to to work for myself and really supporting organisations, large and small, in change and cultural change. So, Obviously, in terms of having an interest,
0: where did your interest come from to do with culture?
1: So, it really started with um, the last company that I was working for um, that had gone through um, quite a significant change in terms of strategic direction, Um, having had a a new managing director in, um, the decision around the direction that the company needed to move in, and particularly moving from quite a a static, more um, quite comfortable position within the market that it was in into being far more competitive. Um, It was a not-for-profit, but really wanted to demonstrate that it could add value um, and compete with the larger stakeholders that it was in the market with. Um, And so, it was during that time of strategic refresh and looking at the direction that the company was heading in that it became obvious to me and, and to the um, senior team that this strategy, this new strategy was going to need um, a platform in which it was going to operate and, and in terms of culture and, and cultural shift. And when I'm talking about that, it became obvious that some of the behaviours some of the values that the the company had been operating on up until that time just weren't going to be fit for purpose moving forward. Um, And so I spent some time thinking about that before I I launched into talking about culture because culture is quite a um, a ethereal concept, I think, for many people and certainly for the senior team that I was working with at the time. And I really needed to, to think through quite carefully as to how I was going to approach tackling culture change because I knew that I was going to need to have them on board Um, and so I spent a lot of time gathering evidence really anecdotal evidence around some of the frustrations that I was starting to hear that the new strategy wasn't landing because of some of the myths some of the old behaviors that were very much prevalent in the company and 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 haven't been tackled and this to me was the signal that the culture needed to start to shift. And I think if we just drill into that
0: point, way before we, talk, we to talk about how you did that, but it is ethereal. It's a weird topic, isn't it, culture? Mm. Um, and I know you mentioned values and behaviours earlier. H- have you got a sort of off-the-shelf definition of what it is that, that helps people when you're working with them understand it?
1: I think it's, uh, you know, in, in short, I, I tend to talk about it's not what you do, it's how you do it, it's how things work um and you know i'm sure lots of people have heard this this um analogy before but it's it's the old iceberg syndrome culture is the stuff that sits below the surface it's what it what drives behavior drives decisions you can't touch it you can't feel it but you know that it's there um and it becomes obvious every day and getting people to understand it's not what you do it's how you do it and i think Probably the best way to describe it is that you could have two companies that are doing very much the same thing, operating the same markets and producing the same products, but at the end of the day, if you walked into that company, it would have—they would both have very different feels. Neither right nor wrong, they'd just be different, and that's down to the culture in which they sit.
0: Yeah, I like that. The um, iceberg yeah, it makes complete complete sense there. So, um, did you want to? Obviously, you're in an, you're an HR background, and many of our listeners are HR professionals. Perhaps in terms of. What's what's HR's role in terms of managing culture, and how does that tie in? I guess to what it was you did in the organisation you worked for.
1: I think um, I think culture has become a, a real um, topic that HR um, and people managers, people professionals at the moment are are, are very engaged in, and it's very often seen. Culture is very often seen as well. It's all to do with people, and it's therefore to do with HR. But in fact. Whilst I think that we can be very instrumental in creating the right environment and and this analogy I've seen before um, in describing HR in terms of um, uh, HR being very much responsible for um, air traffic control. So the, the whole idea being that HR create the right environment, make sure that it's safe, make sure that it's compliant, that it's healthy, but at the end of the day, they don't fly the planes. And I think quite often within HR, we're expected to fly the planes when there are problems and when people, managers want things sorted out. And culture sits in that same, it, for me, sits very much in that in that bracket. There's a lot that HR can do in order to create the right environment, to be hold a mirror up to the senior team, to the organisation. But at the end of the day, culture sits as a responsibility with the senior team and across all of the leadership team. Um, But I do see HR as instrumental in in keeping the momentum, keeping the foot to the pedal, um, creating the environment, putting the agenda on the table um, if it's not already there. Some some senior teams, some boards can be very astute to those types of things. Others need leading far more prescriptively in this space. and, And that's where I see HR's role. And then hoping that they, can, that they can facilitate and, and guide the, the teams through. And, and that's certainly what I've been involved in in the past um, in terms of seeing, seeing culture change through very much from a strategic perspective, but also doing deep dives down into certainly on the HR side, because although culture stretch, stretches across the whole company and any organisation, HR plays its part in creating and maintaining
0: that culture. Definitely. And also being um, leaders, I guess, as well, if they, are, if we are managing people yes, there indeed, indeed. In, in terms of it. So I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of, if, you know, you were saying obviously the leadership team and one of the challenges you might have, and I don't know if you've had to do it yourself, is you hold a mirror up to that leadership team um, and they don't respond. Let's say that there are some unhelpful behaviours that are creating either a culture of a blame culture or micromanagement, any of the sort of negatives that you hear sometimes in, in organisations. Have you any tips for how uh, you can address somebody, maybe someone who's quite senior and influential, whose impact, their
1: shadow is not positive? Um, I think with, I mean, when we're talking about culture change and it talk, we talk more broadly about change anyway, and I think in any senior team, if you're expecting to get all of your senior team on board with this, um, straight away, then um, I think, you know, you're, you 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 need to be prepared for the fact that if at best, when you start off, you've got sort of 40 or 50% on board, understanding and engaged and committed to this, then your challenge is around the other 50% or so, or, or perhaps less if you're lucky, that need to have um, some more prescriptive uh, support. And for me, I always come back to some really kind of basic stakeholder management around understanding who has got the influence and the interest in this and mapping them accordingly and then working with them quite directly um, to to understand what their barriers and, and what their issues are because it can be that they don't understand what culture is. It can be that it represents a threat to them in that they can see that perhaps the new horizon doesn't allow them to operate in the way that they've operated previously. And then it's, you know, you need to bring in some skills around coaching and mentoring um, with those senior team members in order to work with them and get them positioned in a way that perhaps they might not be advocates of this, but they're not going to be barriers. They're not, gonna, they're not going to be the ones that are, are, are throwing things in the way that are going to stop this. Um, and, you know, if you can get... 70 or 80 percent on board and particularly your chief exec, your MD, whoever whoever your most senior person is, that's the key person and driving it through them. Then, for me, using that stakeholder management is a really good tool and that's got to be used continuously throughout this process in order to, to keep your senior team on track um, and for you to feel confident that you're going to be able to, to to persuade and deliver further down the line. I think there are probably other, there certainly other tools that I've used as far as um, persuading and, and holding a mirror up to to what they do. And it, it sort of comes into the the process that I've used, um, I I used to start with and I have continued to use that um, the process, the kind of three-step process that I that I see. And, and the first step around that is is around discovery. Um, and if you're called into um, a company, um, I think the first thing you need to understand is why you're there and are they genuine around what their cultural needs are? Do they know that they want to change? Um, what, what's been the, the the mechanism for sparking that? Has there been something that's happened? Is there a burning platform that's sitting behind them? Something that's happened. Um, you know, we can all think of companies that have had, um, you know, Bad events that have sparked um, interest in them as an organisation and made them realise that those events they really wouldn't want to wouldn't want to happen again and and that more than likely will sit within their culture. Um, and I was reading today just about Uber, who have had significant issues in terms of being a startup company that have that have done really well, but the culture that has got them as a startup. Isn't necessarily the culture that is going to drive their business going forward. And they've realized and, and had to have quite a change at the top and a change of culture in order to, to kind of drive the growth that they that they want and the performance and and you know the behaviours more importantly that they want their senior team to have. And, and that's that's been quite a dramatic change. But there are other companies that that perhaps don't necessarily need to have a complete culture change. They probably need more of an alignment to the strategy or even just to kind of refocus on what they've got. They haven't, they haven't got it in the limelight. It's very much sat in the background and they really need to, to flesh it out and, and promote it more. So when you're going into an organization, you know, for me, that's always one of the first things that I do is, is wanting to understand exactly what, what's the motivation behind this because that will then give you a sense of where the senior team are. Um, is it is it something that they that they recognise is necessary and is going to drive the business, or is there more work to do in order to persuade um, persuade them to um, to start looking at this in, in more detail? And I think um, for me, when I'm going in on the discovery phase, there are a number of 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 tools and um, uh, interventions that I use to to start to to, to in order to hold that mirror up um and for me what I found one of the most powerful things that I've used is the um the short questionnaire that Cameron and Quinn um have developed and and whilst I'm not you know I'm a great one for theory but in but, you know using it in a in a right way that's practical for me using the questionnaire which essentially you use across your senior team and you can use it across any teams within an organization but I think you need to Um, Be mindful that you don't want to go too far with this, but certainly with your senior team, use that questionnaire to to generate um, some some conversation and dialogue. um, Because what that questionnaire does is give you some really good diagnostics around both where the culture is, where the culture needs to be, but, but from an individual and collective perspective. So what it starts to do is is give you a sense of the journey that that organisation needs to take and who is further down the track than others. So that's... Because um, we talked about that, didn't we, when we met? So that's, yeah. is that
0: the, compete, the competing values framework yes. culture? Yes, yeah, exactly, yes. <clears throat> so I've, I've just, I'll just give my book a plug, actually. It won't be out when we have this, put this out, but I've just found that page. So it talks about there's a clan culture, autocracy yeah. ad- culture, market culture, or hierarchical culture. Yes. So the clan... Clan culture is collaborate, do things together. Ad hocracy is about creating and doing new things. Market culture is more competition, do things fast. I don't know, would that have been the Uber one? And then hierarchical is more control, do things right. That would be in Siemens where I used to work. Yeah. Uh, so, would you say then, if you applied this, you did this questionnaire, and the and the leadership team you've got, they've all got slightly different preferences or are they all in one box
1: no no I and mean, no and the idea is that you know any organization under the under the that model has aspects of all of those yeah. but it, the question is where is it where is it strong or where is it an area that needs to be dialed down so that there can be a focus in another area so for instance the organization that i was where i first started using this um was very much in the hierarchical so they were very much internally focused um, and they had quite a high sense of control over what went on with decisions Um, so there wasn't a huge amount of um, delegation in decision making um, and in terms of budgets. Um, The behaviours that then drove that meant that they were quite risk averse um, and what needed to happen was that they identified that they needed to move much more Um, towards the entrepreneurial side of of the business and they wanted to be more market focused so in a sense they were moving from from left to right if you were looking if you were looking at this and and each director had a different they all had a sense of that direction but each of them perhaps had um, a slightly different um, interpretation of how far they both needed to go and how where they were at the moment but I can say that they were all on the page in terms of where they were and where they needed to be, but there were different degrees of it. And what I found useful about that framework was that it really opened up the conversation, particularly um, with people, A, who like a a sort of diagrammatics um, way of processing things, as opposed to just hearing a conversation around culture, which can be, you know, quite abstract. Um, But it also... Sorry, go on. Sorry.
0: No, I was going to say, it also probably helps ensure that everybody has clarity about going in the same direction about where they want to go.
1: Exactly. And that this is the point. It then opens up that conversation around, OK, yes, we can see that we want to move towards being more, more market driven. What does that mean? And they can see the gap between where they are and where they want to be. And it's that gap that starts to create that conversation and that journey. Now the questionnaire isn't the only thing, the only tool that I've used, but I've, I've found that that is a good opener for, for conversation. But there are a number of other aspects of the discovery phase that I think are really important that you that you use to, to um, embellish on this and, and build on it. So I, I talk about um, sort of collateral that, that, a, that a company has. And, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about you know, the values, Um, the strategic plan, um, the budgeting process, um, all of those, uh, all of the HR documents that you potentially would find, all of that gives you a sense of what the organization has culturally. So um, how they're written, the tone of voice. um, So, you know, typically um, uh, a hierarchical organization would potentially have policies that are written in the third person. They're written in a way that is, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Whereas if you're wanting to move to a much more employee-focused culture um, and one that is perhaps more agile, then you would you would strip them back. You would perhaps have them written in the first person. So those are the types of examples of, of looking. you looking at policies, looking at the way that, I mean, certainly um, companies that I've seen looking at the way that they're laid out um, what the what the stories are? What are what are the su- success criteria? What's the um, what are the penalties that potentially? Or you know, what's your reward and, and pay? How does that fit with your performance management processes? And I know I'm focusing very much on HR, but I would be also looking within marketing and looking at how they're doing, operating their branding, how they're working within finance, how how they bring that budgeting process to life how they look at their customers and that leads me on to another part of what you would look at in your discovery is your customers because at the end of the day your culture is very much um, a reflection of how you operate and therefore how is it that your customers and your suppliers perceive you so other parts of the collateral can be um, evidence that you've got in terms of complaints Performance within various teams. Um, how it's your suppliers? If you if you do receive any feedback um, from your customers, your clients, how many co- complaints and how are they being dealt with? That will give you an understanding of of um, potentially the type of culture that you have. And and whilst it might sound as if you're doing an audit of everything, at the end of the day, it builds a picture.
0: How long does that take, Karen, to do the
1: discovery phase? Um, I'm sure it for depends me, to a extent, but. For me, um, I would I tend to work on the basis, it depends on the size of the company and the complexity of the company. And I've I've done this across big and small. You can do it within a matter of weeks, you can take up to sort of two or three months. But within the discovery phase, I think what's important is that you gather that information and then you start you what you're starting to do with your diagnostics as well you then starting to schedule in some workshops with your senior team because what's important is it's not what I think, it's what they think because I'm, I'm not there to determine what their culture is and I think you've got to remember that there isn't necessarily a, a, a right or, or wrong culture in any, in any sense, it's what's, what's fit for purpose for them. So you're discovering not only what the culture is
0: currently but also discovering what they collectively want it to move to.
1: Exactly. So yeah when you're working through and playing back to them what you have found and they have a sense of where they want to go, then you can start to identify the gaps that exist and that will give you a sense of the direction that you need to go in. So certainly in in some of the companies that I've worked in, talking about the values um, and how they are lived out, because ultimately your, your culture is set by the values that you have and how much they are lived and breathed on a day-to-day basis. And some companies, you know, at the end of the day, they, they have them on the wall and they become, they're nothing more than a poster above the, the, the photocopy or at the tea point. Um, but the companies that, that are really driving culture, they're the ones that, that, that those values inform those decisions. And so when you're playing back to your senior team You've got a sense of what the response is. Do people know what those values are? You've, you've talked to staff, you've looked at engagement survey, and you've got a sense of where your staff are and 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 how they're feeling within that culture. So there's, there's quite a gathering of information. It's both perception, it's evidence, it's the reality, and it's their own diagnosis of where they believe they are and want to be. And you bring that together. Um, and that can take several iterations because it's it's the kind of workshopping that through, and it's at this point that you really need the whole team to be buying into this process. We can't have any passengers at this point.
0: Yeah, they need to motivate people to want to take action. I guess exactly. Of, yeah, so,
1: <clears throat> and working very closely with your CEO or your MD to make sure that they are completely on board and understand.
0: Because if you think about change, you talked about earlier, whether there's a burning platform or if there's an actual issue, reason to change. Yeah. Um, so some of that would also be discovering what the messaging needs to be around the change in order to motivate people to, to get behind it. If exactly. you've got someone who's not demonstrating it. So yeah. that's your discovery. So your next two phases are action and embed, aren't they? Yeah. Right? So, yes?
1: Yeah. So once you have got, uh, you've got yourself to a point where you understand the journey. Um, and you've got some targets in terms of understanding culturally where the organization wants to go. Um, and then it's about starting to disseminate that down. Um, so, and I talk about, I, I've used culture and climate because I think that they are interchangeable but part of the same thing. And I think that culturally, you can set your direction, the senior team can set the direction, but the interpretation of that within different functions and teams can be quite different. And particularly if if a company works um, internationally as well, the interpretation of that can be, um, uh, needs to be one that allows them to, to understand what that culture is and bring it to life for themselves. So team working within perhaps a particular function within IT might not necessarily be the be all and end all because they're very much driven around individual programming and so on and so forth. So the interpretation of teamwork might be very different to what goes on within a sales team or a marketing team or or an HR team. But ultimately, if that's part of the culture and the climate that you're wanting to create going forward, then they need to start developing their actions around how they're going to deliver that. So for me, once we've moved past the discovery phase and into the action phase, it's very much around harnessing your senior managers' And your leaders within the organization um, through your executive team to start getting them to understand the journey that needs to be taken. So there's a certain amount of tell, but there's also a certain amount of allowing them to contribute and collaborate on this. But this isn't an opportunity to try and get consensus right the way through the organization because that's never going to happen. There's kind of
0: leading it, they're starting to communicate the change, basically. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. I'm thinking of this now in terms of the Cotter thing, actually, because a lot of that discovery has gone gone on in a darkened room, if you like. And then this yeah. is a stage at which everybody else in the business or organisation becomes more aware of what it is. Exactly. Um, and so you need a variety of tools to start sort of actioning that change and moving it through.
1: Absolutely. And I think also, if you've got an internal comms team or person that can, that can um, sit alongside that, I mean, I'm not talking about um a, a sort of internal comps program, but somebody that can understand and, and start to interpret that out um, across the company can be really, really useful in in, in this because messaging that can be um, uh, it's a skill in itself um, and one that you really need people who are embedded within the organization to know how it's going to land and who the various audiences are.
0: Yeah, and you've got to refine it and you've got to keep that com- all too often. People just communicate something once and think change is going to happen. It's exactly. actually got to be continuous, hasn't it? Exactly. So, yeah. so, in terms of the action, most of it is communication. Is there
1: anything else that you would no, be... No, there, there, there's, there's communication, but for me, this is where you start to action plan. Because if you're moving from, if you're moving and making um, changes so that you're going, for instance, if you've the organization, I'll, I'll take the first one I worked on as an example, being more externally focused. So what did that mean? And, and starting to get each of your senior team to look at that and say, well, what does that mean for us? So um, for, as an example, uh, the company that I was working for, what we did was we started bringing external speakers in from our competitors to start hearing about what was going on within the market, rather than being the kind of secret squirrels that perhaps that it was perceived as before. This was about let's open ourselves up and under, both understand what's going on and share what we're doing and and um, in a in the spirit of collaboration let's understand how we can learn from our uh, other from our competitors from our from our um, other organisations and so and um, that was just a uh, one idea um, that that was that was planted within a particular team as an action so pulling together an action plan around what it is that that. Um, this cultural change is going to mean for each team and one of the ways that I find works really well is using stop start continue Um, and that's you know that that that's that's quite mainstream but in actual fact we're all very good at starting stuff we're quite good at continuing stuff but we're not really good at stopping stuff so what you then tend to find is that you just rather than stopping what is and starting to create a new lay all you're doing is sort of stretching that elastic band even further by continuing to do more and more and more and not stopping some of the old behaviors um so it's a really uh, valid valid point actually you end up with just too much stuff happening because you're exactly. not let, let
0: go of the old stuff exactly
1: yeah. exactly so having a list of things that you're going to stop doing um is as important as those things that you are going to continue because there will always be things that you're doing that are either absolutely inherent to what the purpose and, and the why the company is there, but also it's a really good it, it's a really good aspect of the culture that you've already got in place. So you want to make and you might want to highlight that and do more of it, but you certainly don't want to be stopping it.
0: Yeah, got you. Um,
1: so yeah, developing those action plans is is really important, and that's where I feel that as the cult, if you're the culture lead, um, whether you've come into an organisation to 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 support to support them doing that or whether you are in-house um that I believe is is a key aspect of of driving this forward because it's on on the back of that that you then start to get some of the traction um I always recommend that when you have these types of actions where you've got some quick wins then um things that can be changed quite quickly and can demonstrate change quite quickly yeah um, so whether or not it's you know not having meetings in a certain place or having them or having them more frequently somewhere else somewhere that's that's quite you know quite demonstrable as a change yeah symbolic and using your internal comms to make sure that that is um, that that's communicated out so, so that people understand that can be a really good symbol of change um, yeah. there will always be other things that take longer if you're looking at changing your performance management system or or any of those, or your reward structures, they will take longer, and in actual fact, probably only kick in maybe once or twice a year. But with those types of things, those can be very quick and very immediate and can really give you some momentum in, in, in pulling change and the culture forward.
0: So keeping on with your um, model, so then you're into the sort of embedding stage, are you? Yeah. What sort of things do you do there? So I suppose...
1: I've seen culture managed as a project where it is um, so once it's done, it's done. And I think that's probably where quite a lot of these uh, change programs, certainly as far as culture concerned, don't necessarily follow through. Because at the end of the day, you need to be taking a temperature check check on a regular basis. Just thinking that you've got there there and think that everybody's going to keep spinning that wheel and behaving in that way. It's not going to happen. So when I talk about embedding, I talk about making sure that in the same way that you review your, your operating plans and your objectives at a senior team, you look back over a quarter or over a year and see how you've performed. You need to have an item on that agenda that says, how are we? how is that culture moving forward? It, and it will need a continuous tweak and alignment because it will always start to, to fall out. Of, it would, it will start, if you don't nurture it, it will fall out of place. So um, for me, it's, it's very much around making sure that it's on the agenda at, at the senior level, bringing back actions from your, from your leaders across the organisation, um, making sure that it forms part of your planning process, um, and if there's work that needs to be done, then make sure that, that, that it's actioned and somebody's responsible and accountable for it. Um, so it just becomes... It just becomes part of your your your. It, it's mainstreamed. It doesn't become yeah. something that you just have to kind of bring in, and everybody goes, "Oh, not this again." Let uh, you know, I, I thought we'd done that. Yes, you have, but it, it needs constant attention to make sure
0: it stays put. Discovery, uh, sorry, um, bi- turn it into business as usual to stop you sort of sliding back into exactly. the old ways, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, and and also making sure that it becomes part of your onboarding process, part of your recruitment process, because. And then if you're bringing people in that are much more bought into that culture and those values to start with, it becomes much easier to maintain that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and certainly when you have recruitment in your senior team, taking one person, when one person leaves and bring another person in and making sure that they understand culturally how they're going to, how they need to operate and work is incredibly important because it only takes one person, certainly at the senior level, and you can feel that slippage. Um, and making sure it's called out, and it's called out in a way that's positive, constructive, um, that will keep it embedded. That's what will allow you to move forward in a way that, you know, you see companies that have got great cultures, and and it and it's, you know, the John Lewis's of this world, that it's just perpetuating all the time. And I'm sure they do an awful lot of work behind the scenes to keep that going. But from me as a customer perspective, what I see is, it, you know over the years I've seen that culture just continue um their partnership model is just something that is great and that that's what we should be aspiring to as in any organization
0: I mean that's an interesting one isn't it an example of them having a different uh, a different structure a reward structure ownership structure which potentially influences the culture so it's much more yeah. than people, it's st- structural aspects um, but I'm not so I can comment. I, I do know someone who used to work for John Lewis, and they did. They did seem to say it was great. I, I'm assuming it is as good as as we think it is. So, well, do you know anyone who works for John Lewis?
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So for the, for those that do, I mean, I, I suppose I'm looking at it from the outside, and I, what I've seen, yes. I've, see, I've seen other companies that are in the same position. That um, and I know that I can see from the way that I experience being a customer that their culture has changed. Um, I, you know, without wanting to go through them through them all, but for me. Mm. If you talk to me about a company that ha- that is a good model of maintaining a strong positive culture, then that that would be one of them. Great, yes,
0: and then, and this is this, this is also the thing where you see how culture is quite strategic because it's actually having a direct impact on the people outside of your business and your customers, and therefore could impact your 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 success, your, exactly. your market. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. great. But you know, just just kind of finally on that point that for any, orga- any company that has got it is looking at its organisational health, and we all, are, you know, as HR professionals, we're always keen to understand all of those metrics in terms of understanding what the organisational health is around, you know, retention and talent and, and development. Then culture needs to fit on there as well, um, as part of that organisational health, so that it's, you know, very much um, it should be at the, it should be at board. Board should be interested in it as well as your executive team and and, and your senior leaders, and, and kind of building that you know, potentially into, you know, accountabilities and responsibilities um, so that uh, managers realise that actually they're the ones that are responsible for it and making sure that it continues and grows. Yeah. Ownership. So just coming to the last five minutes, then yeah. I've got a couple of quick,
0: quick questions then to quick fire questions. What, what can cause change to fail? So why might it not work? And secondly, how long has it taken? How do you know when you've got it right?
1: Okay, so the first one, why might it fail? Um, I think from a cultural perspective, I think I, I've seen it fail for lots of different reasons. Um, one person's given responsibility for it, um, and that's an impossible task. This is a, this has got to be owned at the top, um, and it's got to be driven by the senior team. They're the role models. Um, and I've also seen even when a senior team have got it, when they don't embrace that culture and use those behaviors positively, they're not called out about it. And it's hard when it's seen at the top, Um, but that's when you need a strong CEO that is gonna make sure that 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 is perpetuated. Um, The other reason that I see it fail is that it isn't isn't driven down into um, each of the areas so that it then becomes, so when I talked about those action plans, the stop, start, continue. Quite often it's it's dealt with at the top level strategically, um, and then somehow people are expected to take that away and deliver on that. And when you're expecting an organisation, whether it's 50 people or 5,000 people, to understand what is expected in terms of their behaviours and values and go and live them without any form of role modelling, without any kind of engagement and, and, and communication then that's when it will start to fail. So really driving it down right the way through each team so that they understand they're on board um, and they've created their own action plan for success. Um, so those would be the key reasons. And, and I guess as with any change, um, I think that embedding it um, is, is, is a key part yeah. of this because you know we often see all the effort in any project around change, going into all of the the scoping and the delivery, but at the end of the day, it's the embedding it that can often be the undoing of this.
0: Yeah, it takes longer. We think we've, we've communicated, we've got there, and yeah. actually everything slips back in the background. Other yeah. people haven't gone with you. So it's keeping it going, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I suppose that answers my own question to a certain extent. I guess it depends on how long... Um, <clears throat> I how big the changes if it's cultural, but I mean I would expect it takes years rather than weeks or months for most culture change.
1: Absolutely. What's your take? You've got you've got to bear in mind that if you're looking at doing it properly and 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 it, it, there are some substantial changes that need to be made, then some of the activities that you're talking about that feed into that only happen annually. So yes. you know I I, I can re- I can recall looking at other uh, uh, the performance management process as part of the cultural change, and of course that only happens once a year. So You put a change and then you do it and then you review it. And then by that time and you're wanting to come around again, you're in year two and then you find it some more. So it's there's no point in thinking that it's going to be well in and embedded and anything under than three years in my mind. Um, But of course, you try if you try talking to senior teams about that, they want it quicker. They want it faster. Um, and that's why your quick wins are, are, can really kind of kickstart and give you some good momentum in this area.
0: Yeah, some indications that it's actually working exactly. behind the scenes. Exactly,
1: yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I remember
0: a culture change that to do with like giving feedback. In we were doing three sixties, and we started doing it really regularly. Um, and when we first started out doing three sixties, everybody was really, really suspicious, and no one would write any comments. And then over time, when they realised that actually it was being led by HR or learning and development, there wasn't any anything sinister to it. They started writing some really well. They're writing comments that then sometimes needed a little bit of honing. And then I remember some, almost like looking back after three years and thinking, actually, this this business is now pretty good at giving feedback. But it comes such a long way, but you don't really realise while well, you're on the journey. Uh, of that.
1: And sometimes and you're going, on, you know, you're you're digging out behaviours that have been. Um. Not been challenged been completely acceptable up until now, and you're asking you're saying to somebody now, actually we want you to do something different um, yeah. and that can take some time for for one person to just realize and 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 become confident with that um and and that's what you know and keeping your foot on the pedal as far as that's concerned because that that one behavior can can really lead to some quite transformational cultural change um across the team and 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 across the company as a whole so um, it's about the small stuff, but it's also about the big stuff as well. Which is why I think a lot of people find that culture change can be really rewarding. But you have to have resilience and patience in this space in order to make sure that you see it through. And I suppose the that, one other thing that I would say about it is that getting people to do it internally and having a skin in the game, as far as this is concerned, is really important. Um, yeah. Because whilst you you know people can come in and and support and advise on how to do it, at the end of the day. Having people internally, who are those change agents who are going to lead on it? They're critical because it really matters to them. Um, having having somebody come in and advise and then go, yes, it'll matter to them, but not nearly so much as if that's your organisation going forward.
0: Absolutely, and that's a really key point. I've seen that. I have seen a number of changes fail with businesses we've worked with because they've brought the consultants in. They've come up with a beautiful plan and no one internally bought into it spent loads of money and absolutely nothing happens after they go
1: and and culture is 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 no different to that and in actual fact it's so important that you have somebody you need somebody internally to have the skin in the game but you also it's really helpful to have somebody externally to come in and hold that mirror up because you then be you do go native when you're internal you can get blind spots so having that support but making sure that it's driven internally um, you know, it's really, really useful. Yeah, brilliant. OK, so I guess we've got to wrap
0: it up here. And I, I, I suppose I'm going to summarise back some of the points that have stuck out for me. And you, let's see if there's anything particularly that, that we've missed here. So certainly HR, it is a responsibility of HR because we are the people custodians, but we can't do it on our own. We've got to have senior sponsorship from the, the leadership team uh, in terms of uh, getting to own it. If you've got 50-50 of people, you need to sort of tip it more to 80% on your side. And that might mean some one-to-ones, some coaching, coaching, motivating, coercing mirrors being held up. So you've got to be brave and get in and talk to those people and get on side with them. Then you've got your three-step process, which is discover, action, and embed. And the discovery is, you know, started, you mean to go on. So whether it's helping people have self-awareness about the kind of culture they're after and where they are currently um looking at things like the values um i liked the way you were talking about things like looking beyond looking at the tone of voice of the organization so you're saying about things like um the way in which uh letters are written or company policies are they in third party you know we might say we want to be fast moving but all of our all of our p- p- policies are written in the third party and really sort of parental yes uh, paternalistic um then we need to take action which a lot of that's about communication uh Keep going with that. Look for quick wins where we can spot that change is happening happening because sometimes it takes a long time. And then keep on going beyond when we think we need to to ensure it turns into business as usual. Stopping at things that don't work is when it's probably, again, not been cascaded properly. We haven't got key deliverables. We haven't got people involved throughout the organisation. It's maybe just sat in pockets um, might be an area there. And that's being patient, isn't it? It's looking for those symbols of when things have changed, when we've got it right, spotting those symbols of of difference, whether we're having a meeting in a different place or, or, again, that links a bit to sort of quick wins. Yeah. Anything else just to to end on, Karen, that I've I've missed in terms of my whistle-stop summary?
1: No, I don't think so. I think one thing that I missed, though, that if you do use that diagnostic um, questionnaire, then one good way of of tracking progress is to repeat it in, in 12 to 18 months' time. And that's really useful because... Once you've got some progress, and particularly on that model, you can start to see where you're pulling in one direction, perhaps, but not getting the release um, in others. So you, you, it might indicate that you haven't stopped doing some of the things you should be doing. Um, so repeating that diagnostic can be, is very useful and actually can give some story to how progression is happening and what else you need to do to really kind of push it along.
0: Brilliant. Um, these, these, the di- we talked about a stakeholder analysis and a diagnostic. Um, are these things that people can get access to themselves, or do they need to? Yeah, would I mean, we be able to direct them to them on the website or something?
1: Yeah, I mean that certainly the the Cameron and Quinn um, diagnostics are available. Um, uh, I think they're available online, and I'm I'm happy to look them up, and and we, and we can post them on there. Stakeholder stakeholder management is. Um, uh, it, it, easily, um, you know, it's it's that um, axes of of influence and interest um, and plotting your stakeholders within that. And that's, you know, that's quite a simple yeah. tool that's available online for people to, yeah. to have a look at. Both of those. So, we've actually got some resource on that as well. And, and yeah. we've also got a
0: resource which um, it talks about, it's a white paper, which was to do with Cotter and the change curve. So, Um, that we've done previously. So as ever, guys, if you're listening to this and you want some of these resources, if we can find the link to the Cameron Quinn one on the website, we'll put it on the show notes. Um, And the same with anything else that we think is relevant, we'll signpost it at the bottom of the show notes from this episode, which you can find on hruprising.com. So I'm going to close it down there. Karen, thank you so much. That was a brilliant masterclass. Really, really appreciated it. And yeah, really in-depth and well thought through. So thanks so much for sharing your expertise. We'll put your contact details in the show notes as well. So anyone who wants to contact you, um, and I know you're working with a company at the moment, but you do do consultancy, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. And thanks, Lucy, for for having me. Yeah. Lovely. Thanks so much, Karen. Take care. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet
1: to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.